Hi, I'm Pastor Kenneth Olusanya of the Vivify Ministries, and it is my joy that your heart is awakened to the finished works of Christ with such powerful simplicity. Are you ready? All right, here we go. All right, I'll try to make it as quick as possible because we have so much to cover, and I'll do my very best. All right, so... I mean, so far this month, we started a series called Exploring Galatians. And, and you know, we do this every time uh, in the year where we choose a portion of the Bible to just study sequentially. And uh, we've covered chapter one and chapter two. Um, those were, you know, there was so much to talk about. And in... Uh, in two weeks, we covered chapter one and two. We started with no other gospel. And last week, we treated the title Graceless Law, Lawless Grace. You know, we talked about how you can't have one, you know, and expect to have the other. It's either you are living to please God by his grace or by your works, by the law, the works of the law. You can't have it both ways. You can't have a mixture or a hybrid. It's either it's it's grace without works or it's works without grace. But you can't have both because Moses brought, you know, the law. He brought the law. The law came. Um, the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came through our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace, which is the truth. So you either stick with the Moses gang, the Mosaic gang. Or you stick with Jesus' gang, right? We, we had so many things to talk about. But this evening, we're talking about the title. We're discussing the title, Abraham's Blessings Are Mine. One, two, three, go. Abraham's blessings are mine. Hallelujah. Abraham's blessings are mine. I am blessed in the morning. I am blessed in the evening. Abraham's blessings are mine. All right, so... Yeah, uh, you guys already know that song. This is a song we sing in Sunday school, uh, maybe even your Sunday service, or you probably sing it at a Beyonce concert, whatever works for you. Um, this is a song that we all know, and it's good that we talk about this. So we really get to know what Abraham's blessings really are, right? And 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 do we really have those blessings? What what blessings are these, right? So we're, we're going to read Galatians chapter 3. We're going to study deeply and just get to find out what this is all about. And uh, so as we read through, I want you to pay attention um, and don't get lost, right? Are you ready, guys? Are you ready? If you are, let me know right now in the comments. Let me know and let's get started. All right, so... Let's start at verse 1 of chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3 from verse 1. Oh, glory to God. Now it says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? Oh boy, it seems like Paul is really upset with these guys. It says, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. He's angry and he's upset. He's upset. Oh foolish Galatians. Imagine I was upset with the Vivify gang. 
and I came and said, Oh, foolish vivifiers! Who are bewitched you? You know that something is up, right? He's clearly upset. And you can imagine, I mean, from chapter 1 and chapter 2, we see these guys going back and forth on this concept of grace and the works of the law and circumcision. And Paul is like, what on earth is happening? Have you guys been hypnotized? Are you under a trance? Has someone charmed you that you are not obeying the truth? The things that I've taught you. I mean, before whose eyes Jesus was clearly portrayed as crucified amongst you. He was really upset. So, so, so indulge me, verse 2. This one, this only I want to learn from you. Just, just answer me. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? So he's asking them a question. How did you receive the Spirit? I'm reading from the New King James Version, by the way. How did you receive the Spirit? Was it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Did you receive the Holy Spirit by drinking a bottle of methylated spirit? Did you have to do something dramatic to get the holy spirit did you have to obey circumcision that was a joke by the way please don't be offended did you have to obey circumcision did you have to pay a tithe what did you do to receive the spirit was it by hearing of faith look at romans 10 from verse 14 romans chapter 10 from verse 14 we're going to read till verse 17 put your finger at galatians we're coming right back but go to romans chapter 10 Let's check what it has what it has to say um, from verse 14 to 17. It says, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Verse 15. And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah said, Lord, who hath believed our report? So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so Paul is making reference to this. Did you receive the Holy Spirit? Did you believe? Did you get saved when you did certain acts of the law? Or was it when you when you heard the gospel? When you heard the preaching of the gospel that Paul delivered to them? Is that when you received the Spirit? And this is a rhetorical question. He knows the answer. But he wants to be sure that these guys understand. And he's still pissed. Look at verse 3. Are you so foolish? And when he says foolish, he's not trying to be insulting. What he's trying to do, you know, when you say someone is foolish, it means they're not applying their hearts to wisdom. They're not applying the truth in wisdom. It means the, the truth of the gospel has been forsaken. The same terminology was what Jesus used with those disciples on the road to Emmaus. He said, he said you know, oh fools and slow of heart. To believe all that the, the law and the prophets had said. Right? So, 
Being foolish in this context of salvation means not understanding the full picture, not understanding how salvation is received. If I say you're foolish, it means that you haven't understood this concept called salvation. Are you so foolish? Haven't begun in the spirit. Are you now being made perfect by the flesh? By the works you are trying to do, by the, the good acts, by obeying this and doing that and taking all these things off of your moral to-do list. Verse 4, have you suffered so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? I mean, these guys went through persecutions and oppositions. They were coming from a background where the God of our Lord Jesus Christ was not worshipped. And so these people who converted to Christianity suffered much persecution. And it's like, have we done all these things, gone through all these processes, tried to, to throw down all the falsehood only to start from the very beginning again? Come on, guys. And so he's upset. The question I want to ask is, what, what do the works of the law look like today? I know it's, it seems a bit far-fetched when we talk about works of the law, works of the law, acts of the law, the law, the law, the law. I mean, what exactly would constitute the law, the works of the law today? Now, many people might not say that, oh, if, you're, if you don't circumcise your child, you know, you won't make heaven. It, it's not so popular. It's just expected medically that you circumcise your child. But, you know, at the same time, it seems to be gender specific to only male children. So what happens to the females if they are not circumcised? What what does salvation mean for them? Do you understand what I'm saying? So the words of the law, what do they look like today? What are the things that people are trying to do to earn God's favor? What are the things people are trying to put in place to earn a place in? in heaven this is what i think number one is service to god service to god number one sir i know this sounds strange but just let let's look at it together when you talk about service to god i mean it means many things it means being an active worker an active participant in the things that concern god or concern his church so if you're an usher in the church or you're in the choir, when you're in the protocol team, or you're even a pastor or a minister, that's a, a, a form of service. Or maybe you're a sanitary worker, you, you clean out the the, 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 the the church, the church building, and you keep it tidy. That's some, that, that's some form of service to God. But do you realize that a lot of people base their relationship with God on their performance in church did you know that do you know that a lot of people you know if they're asked why they should make it to heaven the things that will come out first from their lips is oh i do this oh i do this for god oh recently i just did that oh recently i just did this i did that i served here i did this for god i put you know so i mean if you want to know this if this is true just try it out ask a couple of people in your church, whatever church you go to, you know, maybe even a, a church where they probably don't have the right idea 
of, of what Christianity is all about. Just ask some people, friends, relatives, colleagues, what makes you a Christian? How how are you a Christian? And when you hear the the things they would say, you hear a lot of performance based reasons why they are qualified to be called Christians. And so service to God can be a form of works of the law in the sense that it's performance based to please God and to earn his favor. Number two, obeying the Ten Commandments. Yeah, that sounds funny, right? But obeying the Ten Commandments, trying to be morally upright, whether it's it's thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not lie, thou shalt not commit murder or, or adultery, you know, or all those things, have no other God before him. Some people do these things to impress God. They do these things that perhaps God will look at how good I've been, how well I've been keeping his rules and regulations and abiding by them. And so God will be pleased with me. Now, this sounds like what what, what is wrong with doing the, with obeying the moral law? What's wrong in keeping the commandments of God? Absolutely nothing. And that's the point. There's nothing wrong. In fact, there is an expectation of believers to live up to a certain standard. You know, we talked about this last week that God wanted to make a covenant where, you know, the law is not written on tablets of stone, but written upon their hearts. So intuitively, they know the things that they ought to do. Do you understand what I'm saying? But when the motivation or the motive in obeying the Ten Commandments, in obeying the moral law, is to impress God, to earn a place in his kingdom, then you've, you now you're starting to live by the works of the law. Number three, dressing Christianly, if that's a word, dressing Christianly. That's what it looks like today. There are places and there are circles, different kinds of churches, where if you don't look the part, you will not get the part. If you don't look like a good Christian guy or a good Christian girl, if you're wearing trousers where you should be wearing a skirt, if you don't tie a scarf on your head where it should be covered, if you wear all sorts of jewelry where you should be bare, then sorry, you don't have a seat in heaven, right? That's something that's been popularized. There's a lot of judgment that goes on. In fact, there was one song... um, I saw I saw this on someone's WhatsApp status, and there was this choir, and I know some of you might have seen it. It's it's getting very popular, and it's very sad. There's this choir, you know, where they were singing about some people try, you know, can come to church whenever they like. Why, <laughs> you know? There's another song that they sang that, you know, God is watching you on the day of judgment. You cry, you know, and just literally very condemning about people. But I promise you, like, people will be super surprised when they get to heaven and they see the people that will be there. I bet you. And and I'm not against modesty. I'm not, a, I'm not against decency when it comes to dressing. But if you think in the slightest that it's by your dressing and the way you look that earns you a place in heaven, you're mistaken. You're mistaken. There is, there is, there is freedom that, that exists in Christ Jesus. That God wants us to walk in, but not in undue freedom, not to the extent where we start to, you know, um, we start to go in accordance to the world. God wants us to be decent, wants us to be, to not 
try to base our beauty on outward beauty alone, right? We see that in several scriptures. So, works of the law today, it looks like that, where we, we are instructed to dress a certain way so that God is pleased. You know, you wear a white outfit because if you wear anything that is not white, God is not pleased with that. So, that's what the works of the law looks like today. The works of the law looks like tithing. Number four, it looks like tithing. Um, and I've mentioned this before. This is one of the gospels that has become rampant. If you don't pay your tithes, you will not have favor with God. If you don't pay your tithes, God will not bless you. If you don't pay your tithes, you might not even make heaven. Right? God will shut the gates of heaven, you know, shut the windows of heaven to you and your family. All these things that sound like threats, these are works of the law. These are performance-based actions. And so this is these are some of the things that if Paul were around today, he would get upset. He would get pretty upset with what's going on. And and you know, even evangelism, funny enough, I've heard people preach the gospel, go on evangelism with the wrong motives. You know, they come and share testimonies. Ah, I have served God, I have led people to Christ, you know, and, and that's why God is able to bless me. I'm now qualified to be blessed by God. I've done my part. I've evangelized. And God will do. He has to do his part. In fact, people would use the term. I heard one person say, God is obligated to bless me because I have you know, preached the gospel to people. And that's wrong. That's very wrong. Is evangelism great? Absolutely. But when these things are done with the wrong motive, it automatically becomes adulterated. It becomes polluted we don't do these things to try to earn god's favor to try and earn god's blessings we do them because we love the lord and he first loved us that's why we do these things anything you think will qualify you to make heaven that is not faith in christ jesus is a work of the law simply put at least in our contemporary generation that's what it looks like but let me not uh, spend too much time here. I hope you have an idea. Anything that just seems like a performance-based mentality to earn God's favor that is not based on Jesus Christ and what he did for us on the cross and up from the grave, that is that is something to contend against. That's something to be angry and upset about like Paul is right now. Verse 5. Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles amongst you. Does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? So, um, here it's saying, the one who supplies the Spirit to you, who gives you the Holy Spirit and, and, and performs many miracles, because these guys saw lots of miracles. If you read the accounts in Acts, you see that a lot of miracles were done in Asia Minor, in Galatia. People were stunned. And he's asking, did, did God perform these things amongst you because you obeyed the law or simply because you believed? And verse 6, it says, Just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness, therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. Are you following? So he says, just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. If if you were going to call Abraham a righteous man, 
what qualified him as a righteous man was simply because he believed God. He actually believed God. He actually trusted God. God gave promises and he believed. And and when you think about belief, right? Belief is not just that initial point where you say, ah, okay, okay, I, I believe, I believe. Let me see what happens. Belief is 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 literally defined by your entire life, your entire posture. When you talk about faith, it's not just that initial thing. It's it's continual. It's continual. Because when you look at the life and the story of Abraham, do you see or remember any time when this man doubted? Do you recall any time where he doubted, maybe took an action, tried to, you know, bring about the plans of God through another method? Absolutely. But when you look at his entire journey and his entire story, he went back on track. He believed God again. He stayed believing in the promise of God. And that was accounted to him for righteousness. Praise the name of Jesus. So he says, anyone who is of faith, you are son of Abraham. Now, this term son of Abraham is a Jewish term. It's a Jewish terminology that describes the Israelites, that describes the Jews. If you're a son of Abraham, it means you're a Jew. Do you understand? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. If you are a son and you come from that lineage, you are a Jew, you are, you are the children of God. But he's saying Abraham was, his method in attaining righteousness was by faith, not by the works of the law, because at that time, the, the law itself did not even exist. So it was his faith that made him righteous. If you are a true son of Abraham, a true child of God, it's not going to be by the works of the law that you be justified, that you be made righteous. It's going to be by faith, the same faith that Abraham had. That's what you're going to have to be considered the son of Abraham. Verse 8. Oh, I love this scripture. And the scripture for... Now, let... If, I mean, if I was going to ask you the question, who was the first evangelist ever? Who was the first person to ever preach the gospel? Was it Peter? Was it the Samaritan woman at the well? Was it Paul? Who, who could it have been that preached the gospel for the very first time? This is where you're going to see your answer. Verse 8, and the scripture foreseen that God will justify the gentiles by faith hallelujah this is a powerful scripture because it's talking about you dear gentile yes you listening to me by every standard you know according to the flesh geographically you are a gentile you're not an israelite but god had a plan to justify gentiles you and me by faith preached the gospel to abraham before whoa so you see that god actually proclaimed the gospel to abraham god was the first evangelist ever but what was the content of his message what did he tell abraham he told abraham in you all the nations shall be blessed do you remember that that's that uh, verse of scripture in you all the nations, all the nations of the world shall be blessed. Verse 9, so then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. 
Let's go to Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, where we saw that, that verse. Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. I want you to, to stay with me. Pay attention. All right, it gets more interesting. Genesis chapter 12, from verse 3. It says, and I will bless them that bless thee. God is establishing, establishing a covenant right now. And curse him that curses you. And in you shall all families of the earth. And it's funny how people miss this. In you shall all families of the earth be blessed. Blessed. We see that word again. Blessed. Verse 9 says, So then they who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. So if all the families of the earth will be blessed, how will they be blessed? It's going to be through faith. So that's what Paul is trying to establish. If you are going to talk about the blessings of God, the plan and promises of God, the only way that is accessible is through faith. Is using Abraham as the model, as the poster child for how blessings are attained. It's by faith in the promises of God. Let's go to verse 10. Now it gets a bit dark. It says, For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. So he's trying to establish something. Now, if you choose that your method is the works of the law, this is how you want to be right with God. This is how you want to be justified. Let me just let me just tell you, there's, there, there's, there's a warning. It says, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all the things which are written in the book of the law to do them. That's a quotation from Deuteronomy 27 verse 26. It says that, Cursed be he, that confirmed not all the words of this law to do them. And all the people shall say, Amen. That's exactly what that scripture says. So what it's saying, what this means is, if you don't do everything that is in the book of the law, to the letter, I'm not talking 99.9%. You know how sanitizers tell you 99, under the law, 99.9% does not cut it. It's either 100% or it's zero. There's no in-between, there's no almost, there's no approximate, there's no estimate. It is you must continue and abide by all the things written in the book of the law or else you are cursed. So if you choose to go by that method, if you know that you cannot uphold the things in the, in the law, you actually don't uphold them, you'll be under a curse. Verse 11 but that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God. But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident. For the just shall live by faith. This is a quotation from Habakkuk. Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 4. This, this is Paul literally unraveling the Old Testament with, with, new, with New Testament revelation. He's doing all of this. Because the, the Bible does say in Habakkuk 2 4 that... You know, it says, Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. He's saying, you know, the person who tries to lift up himself, you know, try to elevate his soul, his moral upstanding is not actually upright. The only way to live as a just person is by faith. 
Verse 12. Yet the law is not of faith. The, the law cannot interact with faith. The law is not related with faith. But the man who does them shall live by them. And that's, that's a quotation again in Leviticus 18 verse 5. If, if you're going to obey the law, you, you, know, you, you have to live by them to, to the fullest. That's what he's trying to say. So he's saying, if you don't do this law, there's a curse. But look at verse 13. Christ has redeemed us. Glory to God. This is powerful stuff. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Glory to God. So he's saying that Christ Jesus stepped in to redeem us from the curse of the law because he became a curse for us. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 21 from verse 23. Deuteronomy 21 verse 23. It says, His body shall not remain all night upon the tree, but thou shalt in any wise bury him that day, for he that is hanged is cursed of God. That your land will not be defiled, which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance. So he's saying that anyone who is hung on a tree is cursed of God. There's a curse upon that person. And he's saying, look, Jesus did hang on a tree. And he took the curse upon himself. He was punished. And, and the Greek word for curse here is, is a very funny word. It's epikataratos. Epikataratos. It simply means to be severely punished. And so this is not anathema kind of curse. This is this is more of a substitutionary punishment. This is the kind where someone takes the punishment for a town, for a land, for a population. That's why it says, For he that is hanged is accursed of God, that your land may not be defiled. So that's the idea that Jesus stepped in to be cursed of God so that we are not defiled by sin, that the curse of the law does not spread over to us. Does that make sense? So if you're going to abide by the law, he's trying to say you don't have to live by the law anymore because if you live by the law, there's a curse. But Christ has stepped in to make sure that there is literally no curse standing in the way. He paid the price for that reason. Look at verse 14. That the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus. That the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus. That we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Now, when you define the word blessing, it, it can mean different things in different contexts. Do you agree? If, if I, if I, you know, I just... I, uh, if I go like that and you say, bless you, I know what that means. If you just bought a new car, very expensive Mercedes Benz, right? And someone sees and says, man, you are blessed. Ah, what comes to your mind is you're thinking financial blessing. You're thinking money. You know, if you see a lady who is passing, you know, she's just walking and my good, you can't take your eyes. You're like, wow, girl, you, 
Oh my oh wow you are blessed. Hey you are you are you are my dear you are blessed. <laughs> what that means you're talking about some physical endowments, right? But you see the biblical context of blessing is not just material blessings. It's not just physical blessings. You know, the blessings of God are quite different. The Greek word is eulogio. That's the Greek word, and, and I like to share this Greek word because it helps us understand the, the, the actual meanings, right? You know, Gio simply means to speak well of or praise something and praise someone. It's, it's what you see in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed, blessed, who has eulogio us. With all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. But this kind of blessing is not just saying, ah, you're a good man. I bless you. I speak well of you. You're a great guy. No, it's the kind that comes with benefits. So you, you provide benefits based on your perception of that person. So let me give you an example. If you see, for example, let me give you an idea, right? Maybe someone who does something in your sight, this person looks good. Maybe Spider-Man, for example. Spider-Man came in and, you know, your 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 mom was about crossing the street and she wasn't looking and there was a trailer about to hit her. And Spider-Man just came and just saved her. In your eyes, you will speak well of Spider-Man. Spider-Man just saved your mother. It's not Spider-Man, it's Spider-Man. Spider-Man. Spider-Man saved your mom. That would be exciting. You would love him. You'd be indebted to him. You'd be so grateful. And you might even say, what can I do to repay you? You, you, you feel the, the immediate urge to give the person some benefits because of your perception of the person. It's the same way when you have heroes, when you have ministry gifts, because you speak well of them, sometimes you want to give them some benefits. And so because God sees us, as his children, as joint heirs with Christ, as righteous, as saved, as blood washed, as holy, as beloved, as because God sees us that way and speaks well of us in that way, benefits. There are benefits that follow. That's why it says we are blessed with all spiritual blessings. It's the kind of blessing that attracts benefits. Praise the name of Jesus. That's the kind of blessing we're talking about. So God speaks well of us in Christ Jesus. Glory to God. And because of that, we have an inheritance. There's something attached to it. We, we are spoken well of. God sees us as he sees his son. And we have an inheritance because of that. Praise the name of Jesus. Isn't that great? Say, I am blessed in Christ Jesus. Come on, say it with conviction. I am blessed in Christ Jesus. I am blessed in Christ Jesus. God speaks well of me. God sees me as his child. And God loves me. Hallelujah. Praise the name of Jesus. So, so what is the blessing of Abraham? Abraham's blessings are mine, we sing. But what exactly was the blessing of Abraham? Now, the blessings were not necessarily financial. Was he you know, blessed financially. Absolutely. God was starting an entire nation, an entire generation with this one man. So you best believe that he was going to have all the resources he needed to start a nation. 
But you see, that's what I'm talking about. That financial blessing that he experienced was only an added benefit based on the promise. God had given him a promise and this was an additional benefit because God has spoken well of Abraham, spoke well of him because of his faith. And because of that, he experienced these things. So the blessing of Abraham is not the material things. Look at it here. Verse 14 says that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus. What is it? That we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. That we might receive The promise of the Spirit through faith. This is what was spoken about when the Lord said, Through you all nations of the world, the Gentiles inclusive, will be blessed. They will partake of the promise of the Holy Spirit through faith. And the promise of the Holy Spirit is salvation. It's salvation. We're going to read further and you're going to see what I mean. But, but let's go, verse 15. Brethren, I, I speak in the manner of men. Though it, it's only a man's covenant, yet if it is confirmed, no one annuls or adds to it. Right? So he's saying like when it comes to making covenants or making you know a contract, once it is confirmed, no one can touch it. Once it's been agreed upon, no one can sign off, can cancel, nothing like that. It's sealed. It's done. So he's trying to use this example to explain what happened with God and Abraham. Verse 16, now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say unto seeds as of many, but as of as of one, and to your seed. So, you know, there was in in the covenant God made with Abraham, he promised him that, you know. He'll be a father of many nations. Through him, all nations of the world will be blessed, you know, and made promises to his seed. And it's not a, a plural seeds like your children's children's children. It was specific. Praise the name of Jesus. It was very, very specific. Right. So Paul is trying to establish something. He's trying to establish that when you make a promise right and let me let me just give you the place let's go to genesis 12 verse 7 genesis chapter 12 verse 7 there were some other places where this was mentioned but let's go here right look at genesis chapter 12 from verse 7 it says and the lord appeared unto abram and said unto thy seed will i give this land and there builded he an altar unto the lord who appeared unto him. Praise the name of Jesus. Let's look at thirteen verse, chapter 13 from verse 15. So it says, Unto thy seed. There's a promise to the seed of Abraham. Right? Genesis 13, 15. For all the land which thou seest, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed forever. And in the context, it might have seemed like, oh, you were just talking about a promised land where they will all settle and his children will have a place that they can call their own. Um, I mean, that did happen physically. They did have a place that they could stay. But the revelation we see, you know how the Old Testament conceals these things and now it's being revealed in the New. 
He's saying that the promise that was made to the seed of Abraham, he didn't say his seeds as per children. It was particular to someone in his lineage who would come and be the fulfillment of this promise. I don't know if you're following so far. The Bible says here that seed is Christ. So let me speed up. And this I say, verse 17, that the law, which was 430 years later, cannot annul the covenant that was confirmed before by God in Christ, that it should make the promise of no effect. For if the inheritance of the law, for if the inheritance is of the law, it is no longer of promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. So he's saying that the law of Moses, you know, came 430 years after this promise, approximately. And because when a covenant is established, you can't annul it, you can't add to it, you can't subtract, you can't edit. So he's saying the covenant God made, regardless of the institution of the law, cannot annul the promise of God, cannot change what was promised to Abraham, that through Abraham, all nations of the world will receive the promise of the Holy Spirit. Praise the name of Jesus. So that's what he's trying to say. So, I mean, when we talk about law, I hope you have an idea of what the law is, right? We talk about law. We talk about the moral law. We talk about the civic laws or civil laws. And then we have the ceremonial laws. The moral laws are what you would call the Ten Commandments, which are summarized in love God, which the first four talk about, and love people, which the, the remaining six, starting from honor your father and your mother, talk about, right? The civic laws are the things that, that about 630 of them that came up based on the people and their misbehavior. You know, Moses had to, you know, had to establish these laws to control the people. And then the ceremonial laws are the things that directly reveal and foretell the coming of the Messiah. These were the ceremonial laws they had to do while they awaited the coming of, of the real thing. It was, it was a shadow of things to come. Ceremonial laws included um, things like the sacrifices in the temple where they would sacrifice lambs. And we see that the lamb of, you know, when John the Baptist saw Jesus, it says, Behold, the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. So that was if a pointer to, to something that was to come. Passover represented that, that whoever is covered by the blood of, of of the lamb would escape the punishment the wrath of god we see this happening with the circumcision where the the old is taken off away you know in christ bible says we are the circumcision now who serve god by his spirit so um we see that all these ceremonial laws were were pointing to a time uh where they'll be fulfilled but he's trying to say that regardless this laws um, did not affect the promise. They were not contrary to the promise, you know, and and that's what verse 19 now talks about. What purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. So um, the law was given because of transgressions, right? It was given, first of all, to constrain transgressions, to to constrict people from doing stupid stuff more, to reveal their sins, and also to judge their sins. That's what the law was given. How can you know something was wrong unless you are told that it's wrong? So the law was meant to be a judgment to people, to control people, and also to reveal that they were really sinful. Right? So that's why the law was added 
till a time that the seed, that's Jesus Christ, would come to establish his promise. And said it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. So the angels delivered the law to Moses. Remember how that happened, where he received these things on the tablets of stone. And now you might think, that, oh, this was God who gave it. But yeah, God gave the, the law through angels to Moses, right? I'm not talking about the civil laws. I'm talking about the, the moral law now. Verse 20, now a mediator does not medi mediate for only one, but God is one. Um, what this is sim simply saying is like a mediator is helpful if more than one party must reach an agreement, but God who is one did not use a mediator when he gave this promise to Abraham, meaning God made a direct promise, made a covenant with himself. He didn't need a mediator. When he was given the law, he needed Moses to mediate with the people, but this was a direct agreement and direct promise to Abraham. The agreement was what was with his seed. I don't want to confuse you now. The agreement God made was with himself, with his son, Jesus Christ, that through faith, all the nations of the world would be blessed the same way Abraham was blessed. So it was a contract God had with himself without a mediator, you know, and, you know, anyone who believed, who put faith, would receive the promise just like Abraham believed and receive the promise. Does that make sense? I really hope it does. Verse 21. Is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. Are, are we saying the law is is actively fighting against the promises of God? No. He said, for if there had been a law given which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. So he's saying it's not about the law and and the promises of god fighting against each other it's more about the purposes of these things what was the purpose of the law the purpose of the law was never to give life there was never a place where it says the just shall live by the law it had always been the just shall live by faith the law had a purpose it had a purpose in preparing the people for the promise but it's not against the promise. If anything, it helps people look forward to the promise, to look forward to a time where they don't have to do all these things and do all these things in shadows and types, but they will do and receive the fullness of what they were promised. Do you understand? Verse 22, but the scripture has confirmed all under sin that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. So that's the idea. The the scripture has confined all under sin, and that's what the law actually did. When you see the word scripture here, it's talking about the law, the old covenant, confined all under sin, so that it's only by the is only so that only by faith would the promise, you know, be given to those who believe. That's the idea. So it's those who can look outside of themselves and look to God and say, God, look, I've tried. I've tried to obey this laws. It's not working out. I've been on a repeated vicious cycle and I'm trying to do this, trying to do that, but it's not working. I look outside myself and I look to you. I look to you to save me. That's the one who receives the promise, the one who believes. Praise the name of Jesus. Verse 23. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed this is interesting so the law was like a babysitter till your parents would come back right the law was to be like a guardian preparing people for the time 
when the, the promise will be revealed. Verse 24, therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ. So he's trying to explain that the law is not a bad thing. The law itself is not terrible. But he's trying to say the law was only a path. The law was not the destination. The law was only a path to lead us to Christ. The law actually helps lead us to Christ, who is the promised seed of Abraham. It says that we might be justified by faith. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. Verse 25, this is exciting. I hope you're enjoying this read. If, if you're not excited when you read the scriptures, I don't know what would excite you. And, and this talks directly to you because, guys, if this, this thing didn't exist, we'll still be confined under the law. We'll have to. In fact, salvation will not be of us. It will be of the Jews alone. Meaning we will not even have we will not even have the chance as Nigerians or Ghanaians or Americans to partake of salvation if this wasn't so. So this this means a lot. This should mean a lot to you. It should mean a lot to you. Imagine that this was the book of Nigerians and we're exploring imagine it was not Galicia that Paul went to and he went to Nigeria. This would mean a lot to you because he's talking about you a Gentile. How that now you can have access to God through faith. Because that's what was promised to Abraham. Praise the name of Jesus. I hope this is making sense now. Verse 25. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. So he's saying that the law will serve its purpose when the promise arrives. And by the grace of God, the promise arrived 2,000 years ago when God sent his son into the world to give his life for the world. That was the promise that anyone who believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life and receive his Holy Spirit. That was when it is. So he was saying the law up until that point was a guide to, to bring you to the point of helplessness that you need a savior. You need a savior. You need a savior. You need to be saved from the power of sin and the penalty of sin. And after it, you know, the law brings you to that place, then the law's work is done. You no longer need a tutor. But all that is left is for you to put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Does this make sense? That's what he's trying to explain to these guys who hold on to the law so badly. It only, was only meant to lead you to a point where you put faith in Jesus. Verse 25, I mean verse 26, I beg your pardon. For you all are sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Say, I am a son of God. Come on, ladies in the house. Say, I am a son of God. Through faith in Christ Jesus. And, and I mean, having established this sonship simply talks about someone who is a part of a family and has an inheritance. So it's not gender specific when the scriptures uses, when the scriptures use the word son, right? And you're going to, you're going to see that that's what I mean. And I'm not just trying to be feminist. That's what the, the remaining verses talk about. There's for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Glory to God. So he says you are a son of God through faith in Christ Jesus. If you are baptized in Christ, it means you belong to him. Verse 28. This is neither Jew nor Greek. This is neither slave nor free. This is neither male nor female. Do you see now that I was making sense? Yes, I was saying the truth. So this sonship that we have in 
we, we have of God in Christ Jesus, it's, it's not ethnic specific, it's not status specific, it's not gender specific. None of that. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Praise the name of Jesus. He says you are all one. He's trying to say that on the scale of things, no one has an added advantage. It's all faith. Faith levels the playing ground. Faith in Christ Jesus brings a sense of equality amongst all people. Whether you're the wealthiest man in the world or the poorest. If both of you put faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, mm, you are sons of God. Verse 29, and if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Hallelujah. He's saying that if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed. He's trying to bring a concept to you now, saying that the true Jews, the true children of God are not just those who obeyed the law. In fact, they were never those who obeyed the law. They were those who, like Abraham before the law, believed in the promises of God. And if you believe the same way that Abraham believed in the promise of God, then you are Abraham's seed. Then you are heirs according to the promise. Then you belong to Christ Jesus. Then you receive the promise of the Spirit. Then you are saved from your sins. So if I'm going to tell you, when you sing that song again, if you're going to even sing it, Abraham's blessings are mine. You need to know what you're saying. You're not just saying that you are rich, you are wealthy because Abraham was wealthy. You're going to say, I'm blessed because I believed the same way Abraham believed. And it was counted to me for righteousness. Hallelujah. Romans 4 talks about it. That Abraham's faith was counted for righteousness. He didn't have to work for it. He didn't have to labor for it. He simply believed. God promised. And he believed. And he was deemed righteous. He was blessed. God spoke well of him. Spoke well of Abraham. Saw Abraham and said you are righteous. And all those benefits followed him. All that inheritance followed him. It's the same way God sees you now. Because you believe in Christ Jesus, dear believer. God sees you as righteous. He can't see anything else. He only sees righteousness. And because of that, those benefits, those spiritual blessings are added to you. That inheritance in the saints is yours now. Because you have been blessed like Abraham was blessed. Abraham's blessings are truly yours. And it's because you put faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you turn this to prayer and just appreciate the name of the Lord and say, Lord, thank you because I've been blessed like Abraham was blessed. I believed in the promise of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit would, that you would put a new spirit within me and cause me to obey your statutes. I believed that promise and because I believed, I am righteous now. I am righteous now. I didn't have to do this or pay that or do this or obey that to earn your favor. I simply believed. I simply believed in your provision to save my save me from my sins, to get rid of my sins, to save me from the penalty of sin. That I will not perish but have everlasting life. I believed, so thank you because you you kept your word. 
that anyone who believes, whether they are Jews or Gentiles, male or female, slaves or masters, that no matter what, whoever it is that believes receives righteousness. Thank you for keeping your promises. Thank you for keeping your word. Thank you because I am blessed. Thank you because I am blessed. I am so blessed. Hallelujah. I am so blessed. Hallelujah. Thank you for keeping your word. Thank you for keeping your promises. Thank you, Lord. No matter the time that passed, the the time after after the law, you still kept your promise. To tomorrow, you still keep your promise that whoever believes in you will receive this gift of salvation. The promise of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Keep praying. Thank you, Lord, because you became a curse for me on that cross. You became a curse for me on that cross so that I will not be under and condemned under the curse of the law, but I will live in the blessings of righteousness. Hallelujah. Yours is not the curses. Curses don't apply to you anymore, dear believer. You have been blessed beyond measure. Blessed with all spiritual blessings, not some spiritual blessings. All, all. You have all the inheritance that God affords you, that the promise affords you. You have it all. You have it all with none to spare. Glory to God. Woo, hallelujah. Say, I am blessed. I am blessed. I am blessed. I have the promise of the Holy Ghost. I am righteous in Christ Jesus. Glory to God. God sees me as he sees Jesus. No distinction. No difference. I am a joint heir with Christ. I am an heir of the promise. I am an heir of the kingdom. I belong to Jesus. I belong to Jesus. Brakate mendukuto. Ende frikito sokati. Thank you, Lord, because I am blessed. I am blessed. I am blessed. I am blessed. Glory to God. Glory to God. Woo! Thank you, Father. Because mine is not condemnation, it's righteousness. It's not condemnation, it's righteousness. When I stand face to face with the law, oh, the law has nothing against me. Because I'm not under the curse of the law. I'm not under the judgment of the law. I'm not under the punishment of the law. I am under grace. I am under righteousness. Oh, thank you, Lord. Because the law has got nothing on me. The law has got nothing on me. It's done its part. And now I live this life by faith in Christ Jesus. I am just and I live this life by faith in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Praise the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. We're going to pray one more prayer. And we're going to pray for the church of Christ around the world. There are a lot of people that still live in bondage. They call themselves Christians. They call themselves New Testament believers, but they are living under the bondage of the law. The the, the people that have been put and placed as as their leaders, the shepherds of such, such folds, have deceived these people to thinking that they have to do this and climb this height and pay this amount to please God. And God says, no. 
You can't subject my people back to the things of the law. The law was temporary. That was never my method of instilling and imputing righteousness in any mind. It's always been by faith. And he proved it with Abraham. It's always been by faith. Not the works of the law. So we're going to pray for these churches across the world. That the truth of God's grace will prevail in these places. That the places where they didn't know. That look you can never be right with God by trying to do this or do that or or, or earn his favor through good deeds. That in the name of Jesus, the true gospel of Christ and his grace will prevail. It will prevail. The word will spread. That in the name of Jesus, the gospel of grace and faithful righteousness. Oh, in the name of Jesus, it will be more popular with us. We will be more popular. We will make it popular. Vivify Ministries will take this gospel to the ends of the earth and even to the churches that have been deceived. They will see for sure that righteousness is by faith alone in the name of Jesus. They will see that it is indeed by God's grace alone through faith in His Son. In the name of Jesus. Oh Lord, we thank you because your gospel grows in popularity. The true gospel of grace grows in popularity with in with us in this day and generation it grows in popularity it grows in popularity it grows in popularity in the name of jesus lord we release many who are under the bondage of the law because we have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear judgment we have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry abba father hallelujah lord in the name of Jesus we will educate we will enlighten we will set people free from the captivity of the law we will bring them into the liberty of the spirit in the name of Jesus thank you heavenly father in Jesus mighty name we have prayed amen and so father in heaven we thank you for this privilege that we've had to study your word we know better because your word teaches Thank you, Father, because we remain devoted to your truth. We will uphold this truth in circumstances of falsehood, in places where people are taught differently. We will eradicate falsehood and we will erect your truth wherever we are found. In the name of Jesus, Lord, I pray because we know that the blessings of God... Oh, thank you, Lord, because your blessings make us right with you. When you see us, you see your son. You see your children. Thank you, Father, because all the things that we will ever need are added to us. This is not what we desire. These are not the things we chase after. But because we are your children, thank you because they are ours. And Lord, because of your namesake, all that we need is provided. In the name of Jesus, the same way that Abraham had right standing with you and you added all these benefits to him to help him achieve what you wanted him to do. The same applies to us ministerially. Oh, Lord, we are equipped. Lord, financially and materially, we are equipped in the name of Jesus. When it comes to the gifts of the Holy Spirit, we are equipped with much more proficiency in the name of Jesus. We are blessed and Lord, we will live blessed lives all the days of our lives in Jesus' name.
In Jesus' mighty name we have prayed. Amen. Amen. Praise the name of the Lord. I am super confident that this has been a blessing to you. Keep praying with it and let these words drive you to action to live in the fullness of the will of God for your life. Stick around for more. God bless you. I love you.